0: Little known fact,
1: zebras are chill AF, (laughs) the chillest animal (laughs) in the Serengeti.
0: Yeah, man, if you can hang with a zebra On this episode of the Multiamory podcast, we're talking about anxiety, how it can affect your relationships, and some strategies for coping when you're feeling anxious or when your partner is feeling anxious.
1: I just honestly, the word anxiety itself makes me feel anxious.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is anxiety inducing? Yeah, what about it? What is it?
1: I don't know, like, it's the sound of the word itself feels icky to me. So like, maybe that's appropriate that Mm -hmm. I feel like the sound of the word itself invokes exactly the feeling that it's trying to describe. So maybe it's perfect in that regard. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So this obviously, I I guess, isn't like a super happy-go-lucky episode, but I do think it's really important to talk about because it's so prevalent. Definitely one of the number one complaints that I get from clients has to do with their anxiety, often anxiety that has to do with their relationships or their dating life or their sex life or even just life in general, because let's face it, we live in this pretty anxiety producing world. Especially I would say. Right now. And especially mm. right now, I mean, different kinds of anxiety right now than maybe the anxiety that we may have felt <laughs> 500 years ago. Um, but regardless, we still live in an anxiety producing world. And uh, anxiety it just, you know, it gets in the way, right? It, it robs us of access to being able to fully take joy in life or to enjoy our work or the relationships around us or to really fully enjoy the love of the people who care about us. So I think that's why it's important to talk about today is figuring out, you know, acknowledging the fact that anxiety is very normal, but also figuring out how do we cope with it so that we can live our lives and still have some modicum of, of happiness and joy and love.
0: Yeah, the thing yeah. you were saying about the 500 years ago thing is, is interesting because obviously we don't have longitudinal studies about anxiety that go back that far. Um, but I remember, gosh, this was several years ago. There's a book, I think it was called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah.
0: And know. it's talking about how, how anxiety is a somewhat unique human thing um, in, the, in mm. the way that we experience it. Um, because we're able to sort of ruminate on stuff and kind of go over things over and over or anticipate things in a way that animals without language don't. Hmm. Um, and I'm curious how much of that, because, you know, people are so quick to blame it on like, ah, oh, modern you know, day with our phones and our social media is causing anxiety. And like, maybe that's true. We just don't have like a lot of really good data about that. Cause you would have had to have started those studies before those things existed. Right. Um, but it is interesting looking at that where you take something like a zebra who's a prey animal and saying like, well, they should be anxious all the time. Right. But why don't zebras get ulcers the way humans do? Right. And so the book's kind of exploring like those differences and like, kind of the the double-edged sword that our mind is. Um, anyway, sorry, that's just a tangent. Little known just... fact,
1: zebras are chill AF. The chillest animal <laughs> in, in the life. Serengeti.
0: Yeah, man, if you can hang with a zebra, no worries.
2: <laughs> I just like imagine them wearing sunglasses and looking really cute. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. Sauntering yeah, up to the waterhole with like the tigers and lions around them and whoa. elephants. Whoa, whoa. That whoa. sounds dangerous, but yeah, maybe. No, no, well. like there are, it, on the earth whatever the new earth, like HD on Netflix. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 Planetary. 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 By David. Yes. By David, David Attenborough. Attenborough. Yeah. Yeah. It showed like all of the animals coming up to the watering hole. Like that's the, the, you know, safe zone for everyone. Mm, like they all the neutral territory. Drink. I see that Switzerland. Then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cause everyone needs to drink some freaking water, you know, Switzerland, yeah. the watering hole of the world. Indeed.
0: Yeah. Wow. Gosh. That's cool. Yeah. Um, okay so so in getting into this we wanted to start off by talking about like what is anxiety uh so to to start like the basic dictionary definition of this is a feeling of unease fear worry or apprehension and i think that's something that pretty much everybody has felt at one point or another right like feeling nervous before giving a speech or being <laughs> really anxious when you see a gigantic spider like Dedeker and I did yesterday. <laughs> what? Um, yeah, it's ah. like it It's yeah, like right outside the place She lives we're staying. right outside the She's, door. Yeah.
1: I've never seen a spider this big in Japan and it's upsetting and it's, it's, yes. it really changes my perspective on Japan.
0: Yes. Anyway, um or I appreciate that you didn't <laughs> kill her. Thank you. No, no, no. We yeah. We're like, you stay in your area, we'll stay in ours. Mm-hmm.
1: Just keep eating the mosquitoes Good. and it'll um, be great.
0: But definitely like activated some very physical feelings of anxiety for, for me, at least. I mm-hmm. think probably for you as well. Yes. Yeah. Um. You know, feeling apprehensive if we notice that a partner is upset about something and we don't know what, right? Like trying to guess what it is they're upset about. Uh, totally. And And I think the thing to emphasize here is that anxiety in that term, right, of just sort of daily normal anxiety that, that humans experience is a normal part of life and is actually can be a healthy thing. Like having a little bit of anxiety is a good thing. We don't want to get rid of that entirely because it helps us to, you know, be aware of of spiders or to help, you know, um, notify us of like, Hey, there's something I need to figure out about what's going on with my partner. Instead of just being like, what ifs I don't care. Right. Mm -hmm, Like the mm -hmm. the chill zebras that Emily was talking about.
1: (laughs) Yeah, zebras are chill off, but they make the worst partners.
2: <laughs> uh, they probably do. They never ask yeah. you what's wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. <laughs> so there are people out there, though, who do have diagnosed anxiety disorders. Um, so that just means that their worry, their nervousness, their fear, that might be ongoing. Um, it might be excessive, and it might have negative effects on their ability to function from day to day, including things like physical symptoms or panic a- attacks. And I... A very, very good friend of mine is um, diagnosed with anxiety and uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. So this is something that she deals with on a regular basis and something that I've, um, you know, been there for her throughout the basically entirety of our um, friendship. And it's been really illuminating and eye opening Um, so anxiety disorders are the most common form of mental illness in the United States, which I think is interesting and something to bring up because I do think about places when, when we talked about the, the, the dating and different, um, different cultures, that episode, Mm. when we did that in Tokyo and like, we talked about Greece, for example, and how sometimes like the, the people of Greece or the people of different countries, um, are far more like laid back than we are, and more focused on let's be chill and oh yeah, and like the being
1: the being versus doing
2: cultures right. exactly. Mm. And obviously, Americans are taught to be very doing, doing, doing. And I yeah. wonder, you know, I'm just mm. potentially theorizing that we as a culture are more anxiety prone because we're such a doing culture. Oh, possibly. Um, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I think
1: we could we, we could definitely do a deep dive on that of like, how is it <laughs> that sure. American culture specifically is really set up to produce mm-hmm. more anxiety or maybe produce people who are more likely to have anxiety disorders. But right. that's yeah. not quite the focus of this episode. <laughs>
2: no, no. But anyways, something to think about. So there are three general categories that uh, Dedeker is about to talk about right yeah, now. Yeah.
1: So in the realm of actual, you know, diagnosable anxiety disorders, there's Kind of the catch-all, like a generalized anxiety disorder. Um, you know, I have a close family member of mine who recently was diagnosed with with generalized anxiety disorder, or GAD, G-A-D. Uh, there's obsessive-compulsive and disorders related to that. And then there's also trauma and stressor-related disorders. You know, trauma being a traumatic event, either from childhood or in a relationship. Um, and then stressor-related disorders, uh, those are defined as maybe... Connected to something that's not trauma, but still a life event that's very stressful, such as like moving or mm. losing a job or losing a relationship. Some, something that's, you know, very intense and very important and very stressful that can also produce anxiety or produce an anxiety disorder. Um mm. And, you know, the populations that have a higher rate of diagnosis of anxiety disorders are individuals that are traditionally oppressed. So we see higher rates of anxiety disorders in marginalized communities, among people who have lower socioeconomic status, um, and also women. Women are twice as likely as men to develop PTSD-related anxiety um, because of the fact that women are twice as likely to be assaulted in some way, yep. um, which is really depressing. Um so these actual diagnosable disorders are usually treated either with medication or with some kind of therapy, usually cognitive behavioral therapy, or a combination of both.
0: Yeah, and that's interesting of uh, um, I haven't read this specifically about anxiety, but with other, um, you know, diagnosable mental illnesses that there have been studies interestingly showing that the rates of success, for medication and the rates of success for therapeutic are roughly equivalent yeah, to each other. Yeah, I did see that. Mm. Um, mm. Which, is, which I think is very interesting because people do like to argue of like, oh, no, one works better than the other or one's mm. better for you than the other. And it's like, well, actually, like, if you look at the evidence, both of them have an equal amount of success, which is not perfect yes. in either case. Right, sure, and but so, a case-by-case case basis. Right, yeah. so of yeah. kind of figuring out what, what works for that person and – and I think often it's becoming more popular now to do a combination of both. Mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like when I was growing up, if you know, like kind of thinking '90s ish mm-hmm. time, it was more about mm-hmm. like because that was in like the heyday of like Prozac. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was, it was like,
2: Medicaid.
1: Exactly. It was definitely like just yeah. give you a prescription, and right? Send and I, send you I feel on your like, way.
0: and I think probably because of a lot of the criticism that that got, and a lot of the problems that came out of doing that without also pairing it with therapy like there has been sort of a move toward combining those, um, which, which overall I think think is is a positive Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, And this is, I just wanted to to take a moment and I'm sure most of our listeners kind of have a sense of this now going through it, but I think it's worth mentioning the fact that anxiety like Um, depression is another one where the word that we use to describe the feeling is the same as the word we use to describe a diagnosis. Right. Hmm. And it can often get confusing because someone who has diagnosed, you know, some sort of anxiety disorder, like generalized anxiety disorder might hear someone else talking about like, Oh, I I have anxiety, meaning I have the feeling of anxiety. Hmm. And then in the way they talk about it, the person with generalized anxiety disorder going, either feeling like god you seem to manage that so well and i can't something must be wrong with me or hearing it and going screw you you don't actually have anxiety mm. and it's because we have this problem where we have one term that we use for both right that that anxiety is both a feeling and is sort of the shorthand for anxiety disorder right, right? same same with depression or or um you know, OCD is like, like we said, is another popular one to say. Well, I feel like, like
1: that one's a little bit different. I feel like that true. gets into right. a different realm of like, that's been a term that, that I think a has been abused because it's yeah. actually a diagnosis. Right. Yeah. Well, but like our episode on narcissism.
0: Right. That's a good yeah, one Yeah. That there's yeah. actually yeah. a diagnosis, yeah.
1: but then we also use that term just in everyday life to describe someone. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Good point. Okay. Good point. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anyway, I just wanted to kind of to throw that out there to understand that, that the stuff we're talking about in this episode, applies to both, but may apply differently, depending on how anxiety shows up in your life or in the lives of your friends or partners. So just to kind of keep that in mind. Uh, So now we wanted to get into how does anxiety affect our relationships? So whether that is just you know, a normal feeling of anxiety, or if it's an anxiety disorder, it can definitely be activated by our relationships and affect our relationships, which can create this feedback loop, right? Mm -hmm. Of, you know, having those feelings and then causing something to happen that makes you have those feelings again, right?
1: So I tried to write down garden variety anxiety. and I noticed that you skipped past it. You don't like garden variety anxiety? I just don't
0: like the idea of growing anxiety in a garden. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I appreciate that. You want, like,
2: beautiful things to flourish and maybe, like, leave the anxiety out of it a little bit, if one can. I'm
1: I'm thinking, like, a garden variety spider, for instance, where it's, like, maybe not a big, terrible, deadly spider, but just, like, a little tiny, creepy spider that shows up in your garden and it's not pleasant to look at, but you're happy that she's catching aphids or... Whatever,
0: but I feel like the giant mosquitoes. spiders live in gardens too. You yeah, know, it's just, true. I don't feel like the metaphor works perfectly. Okay, fine. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Let's move on.
2: So, okay, some some of our anxieties we do bring uh, into our relationships, um, and a lot of them can be instilled uh, when we're young in our childhood, and and this kind of is a throwback to our last week's episode um, where we talked a little bit of about attachment theory. Um, so yes, like attachment theory also talks about a lot uh, all the things that happen to you as a young person and therefore like that will feed into your specific attachment style. Well, and um, one of them's
0: called, you know, anxious yeah, attachment. Right? Exactly. <laughs> like it's right there in the name. Exactly. So if
2: you are very anxiety prone um in your relationship, meaning you may like want a lot of things from your partner in terms of like assurance or or anything in general, like you are anxious about that relationship that can happen from um, your youth. Um, And also it can be a result of any baggage or trauma from your past relationships. So not just from your childhood relationships, but from any relationships that you had in the past with other people. Um, And so therapist, Paul Levine says that the body keeps score, which means that past trauma and hurt can stay alive in our bodies. Even long after we've mentally and emotionally moved on from a relationship. So it, the the thing that came to mind with this was that when I was in college, um, I think I've talked about this person before, but I had a stage combat in acting teacher that was a woman and very, very intense. Uh, and I perceived to be very masculine in the way in which they interacted with me. Um, mm. And th- she ended up uh, hitting me during class one time. It was like kind of on my back, like almost down towards my ass, but not quite. Um, and it, it, for whatever reason, caused an immediate reaction of like bursting into tears. But I know like right around that area, like if I ever get into a situation with a partner where I'm touched or, or struck or anything in that way, it can cause like a similar reaction. Hmm. So Mm -hmm. I know um, from that standpoint, like I'm, uh, some people like to be hit during sex or some people, you know, that turns them on. And for me, it very much puts me in a place of anxiety and like shutting down. And I think that that is partially from that experience.
1: Interesting. Uh, Yeah. Wow. Uh, No, I definitely have that like from trauma from past relationships. I found like if anyone, like if anyone like runs up to me and hugs me unexpectedly or like grabs me on the waist or whatever, if Mm. it's, if it startles me, um, it's Mm. like very much instantly like total anxiety response. Mm.
0: Um, like
1: that very much lives in my body. Um, and it sounds like a very similar thing.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I think this can also show up in, in even more, um, uh, stuff that's even not as long-lasting as that, right? It could just be from your previous relationship, right? If your previous relationship ended in a certain way, you mm-hmm. might you might go into a new relationship expecting it to end the same way. I feel like that's mm-hmm. when I see a lot affecting the way people approach relationship. I know it comes up for me a lot. So it could be, you know, we could have these sort of long-term ones like you guys were talking about. And then also these kind of shorter term where maybe that would only affect you for that next relationship or maybe the next couple. Um, So there is sort of a whole variety there. Um, And this, uh, our anxiety can also get activated by what happens in our relationships. So in a new relationship, all those chemicals of NRE or new relationship energy can actually kind of create that feedback loop of obsessive thoughts about the new partner or excessive fear. If you're afraid of losing these good feelings that you're having, um, or if you're unsure how the relationship is going to turn out. Uh, and you know, for non-monogamous people, this could be anytime your partner goes out on a date, you could have your anxiety, go up Um, or if someone takes a long time to respond to your text message, this one comes up
1: all the time,
0: all the time, all the time. (laughs) Uh, I've definitely wrestled with this one in the past of, of that, of like not getting a response from something and then coming up with all the reasons why that might be totally right. Um, Just to to real quick about the, the chemical thing with NRE that in our, your brain on love drugs episode from like a couple of years ago, we talked about how, in addition to feeling, you know, this extra rush of dopamine when you're around a new partner who you're really falling for, like that is a good feeling, but your body also is suppressing your serotonin levels, which are what kind of make you feel satisfied and comfortable. And so it actually is doing in your body, like the same thing that an addiction would do. Right, Like a chemical addiction, I mean.
1: Like if you're going through withdrawal.
0: Well, I mean, the same thing that makes you become addicted, where you get dopamine from that thing, your overall serotonin levels go down. So when you're not getting the dopamine from the drug, which in this case is being around your partner, that your base level gets lower. Mm -hmm. So it actually makes you more likely to feel that kind of obsessive addictive quality Mm -hmm. towards your partner, which, like we're saying, if if... Mm -hmm. If yeah. you go in prone to it, right? That's that's setting you up for a situation that is going to make you feel more anxiety.
1: Interesting. Yeah. yeah.
2: But i it's challenging think, with the
0: NRA.
1: Yeah, yeah, NRA
0: can be really and other tough. other partners. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Definitely. Definitely.
0: But I just feel like knowing that helps a lot for me. Mm-hmm. Knowing least. that that's
1: going on in your brain, like
0: understanding that it's not. Like I feel like we have this tendency to think about those sorts of feelings as like we either think of romantic feelings as more profound than they actually are. Mm. Right. We try to attach all this meaning. That's where we come up with like soulmates and especially younger people tend to be so into the idea of like, Oh my gosh, because this feels this way, this must be the one Mm. right. Like, Mm -hmm. and, and it's so much in our culture that that mythology too or on the other hand, we have this thing of like, oh, well, it's just a feeling like it's not real, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so we can either tend to not give our feelings enough credit or we give them too much meaning. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think knowing about this is is useful for kind of finding that, that balance in it. Being mm-hmm. like, if this feels really strong to me, understanding like it's chemicals going on. I can try to enjoy those, but not, you know, not attach too much meaning to them. Mm-hmm. Or on the other hand, if it's like, I'm feeling so much anxiety that uh, can be because I have feelings for this person. Cause whatever, those are just feelings, right? Saying like, no, those are serious drug changes that are happening in your hormones, in your body. Mm-hmm. Right. So kind of from either side, realizing like, this is a significant, you know, physical chemical thing that's happening.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. To get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping code M U L T I. So let's dive back in talking about when you're the person in the relationship that has anxiety. And again, could be, I'm going to say it garden variety anxiety, could be an anxiety disorder, could be somewhere on the spectrum. So the strategies that we're going to talk about, of course, like we said, maybe not effective for everyone in every situation. Some of these tips may work if you have a low level of anxiety, but they may not work if you're going through a panic attack or vice versa. These are going to take some trial and error. I think however anxiety manifests for you, the most important thing is do what works, you know, find what works for you and then do that. It may take a little bit of a mishmash of different techniques, but find what's gonna be most effective for you in whatever way your your anxiety comes up and then use that to get through it.
0: Yeah, so the first one on the list here is exercise. Mm. And mm. I think I heard like everyone listening just rolled their eyes simultaneously because it's just like- ever, Ugh, of course, whatever. <laughs> exercise is always the like fixes everything. Um, but but it is something that there is a lot of science backing it up, right? There's numerous studies showing that exercising increases your serotonin production as well as the release of it. Um, in addition to kind of the immediate effects after working out of having those hormones released, there's also longer-term effects of exercise. Also, especially um, if there's some strength training involved in it, um, also helps to increase other... like helps to balance other hormone levels, right? Like our testosterone versus our cortisol levels, cortisol being the stress hormone, and that mm-hmm. testosterone helps to counteract cortisol, which is stress, which is also related to anxiety, right? You see how these things are all connected and everything with these these um, neurotransmitters is about finding balance, mm. right? That having too much of something and too little of something often have very similar symptoms in terms of like serotonin or dopamine or whatever, that actually having a chronic too much or too little can can be a problem either way, uh, and so exercise actually is a great way of getting getting your body to try to bring those things in balance as much as you can, obviously, if it's not something that needs immediate, like, medication to fix. Yeah. Mm.
1: Something that I just want to remind our listeners also is I, is I understand from my personal experience, like, when you're in the depths of anxiety mm. or depression, you know, exercise is often the last thing that you want to do, or you think, like, God, like, I don't even have the energy to try to figure out where I should go for a run, or what kind of exercise routine I should do, and From what I've seen and also experienced, like you don't have to suddenly go on a 20-minute jog or go to the gym or do super heavy exercise in order to lift your mood or to, you know, bump you out of anxiety. Um, There's like, and maybe you know the name of this yoga move, but it's like a yoga move where essentially it's like you go back into plow and then you roll forward into a forward like bend hmm. and then you roll back into plow and you can just kind of like roll back and forth and roll out
2: your spine and hmm. that's a really good one for interesting i don't know like the specific name but i've also heard that um, putting your legs up on the wall yeah so like sometimes huh. that's a precursor to shavasana but you just like throw your legs up on a wall so that you're like at a 90 degree angle and that helps anxiety a lot as well
0: So like you're lying on your back with your legs up on the wall.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, So I think I just want to encourage people to know that like, I totally understand that when you're really trapped in the throes of this, it can be really hard to even think about exercise and, and the entry into some kind of physical activity can be very low. You know, it can't just be throwing your legs up against the wall or just kind of like rolling around on the ground a little (laughs) bit just to get you moving and getting your body and muscles activated a little bit.
0: It's it's interesting though. I just wanna point out, like like we said, like like Dedeker said at the beginning here, that some of these may resonate with some people and not others. Because I feel like for me, when I'm feeling really anxious, like that's like fuck it. I need to get out of here. I need to go run. Or like I I like crave that. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. And I think that can really change. And I don't think it was always that way. I think I've kind of conditioned myself to do that. Um, especially in going through a very difficult time a few years ago, that was something that really helped me. And so I I think that maybe I now have an association with it. Um, But this actually just happened to me the other day where I was like Hmm. feeling really, really anxious and upset. And I was just like, I I just want to go like run up a hill right something that i know is going to be very like taxing on me mm. um and i didn't and I, I wish that i had i feel like i was much crankier with you because i didn't do that oh
2: um yeah to like piggyback on that i'm probably talking about a similar time mm. in our lives um but i was going to like yoga like really intense hot yoga like five days a week wow. i was ser- we probably were all in the best shape of our well, lives during ironically. that time <laughs> yes um, Gosh, but yeah. we all were like going crazy with the working out but definitely just in in order to like you know get all of that anxiety out of us um
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know that yeah. I was
2: definitely going and working out a lot because it was kind of the thing that made me feel better you, in that moment. Yeah, yeah, that
1: makes sense. That makes sense. What's our next tip here?
2: Yeah, so halting. Um, we talk about it a lot on the show and it's if you're hungry, angry, lonely or tired to stop to stop what you're doing to stop the um, maybe like fight that you're about to have with your partner Um, to just like take a moment for yourself and it really works for those anxious situations um, anxiety as well just take a step back uh, before acting on any anxious impulses like an impulse to snoop your partner's phone to ask your partner if they're doing okay 1000 times Um, (laughs) just really take a break Really take care of your needs in that moment, and then check in again afterwards. And and something that I think we talked about that I know the the book Wired for Love talked about is um, when your primitives are are being activated in that moment um, to just take a breath, to to mm. take a, a couple deep, deep breaths, and that will allow your ambassadors to come back um, and to be there at the forefront of your mind instead of like those those fight impulses Mm -hmm. instead like have have kind of your rational thinking come back into play in these moments just take a take a moment and take a deep breath
0: right yeah I, i feel like something that goes along with that too is the the we talked about it in the relationship anarchist manifesto the idea of when you're feeling good talking about like how you want to conduct yourself and what kind of relationships Mm -hmm. you want to have. And we've given that advice before about other things. And like, I've talked about them as buoys before Yeah, kind of having these sort of mental landmarks of like, these are the things I think are okay. It was almost like your set of values or something. And in those situations, I think they can help you to realize when you need to halt when it's like, I'm feeling a temptation to do this thing that I know somewhere in the back of my brain that's not very loud right now because I'm upset mm. and anxious. I know that this is crossing a boundary for myself. Mm. Sorry, not a boundary like the ones we talked about last week, but, uh, you know, it's crossing a, Crossing, what's what's another word for a this? A
1: line crossing a line. Yeah, for like myself? this is
0: crossing a moral line that I d- have said, like it's not right to yeah. snoop on my partner's phone, right, or to, or to
1: or to raise my voice to them in this way, or
0: right, and realizing, oh, if I'm or be accusatory or defensive mm, or whatever. Yeah. Sure, whatever it is that I've decided, like, is a thing I'm I don't want to do. That that yeah. can be a, a thing of like I'm wanting to do that. Something else must be going on. I should halt and figure out like. Do I need to eat some food? Do I need to just take a nap, like, mm-hmm. or do one of these other things? Right. So, with that, on to the next one. Yeah, uh, this next one is uh, rescheduling. So, this one I know can sound a little bit silly, um, but it's essentially scheduling time to worry about stuff. And <laughs> so, right now, you're you're trying to do something else, right? Like sleep. This is a good one. (laughs) You're trying to sleep or you're trying to work or you're trying to, uh, you know, like have a nice date. Yeah, Hmm. actually that's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. So you're trying to do something else, but you're having trouble being present because your mind is thinking through all these anxious thoughts is going through these lists of things that then jump to other things that you're worrying about. And so what you can do is actually write, Write it down, like write down a list of like, these are some of the things I'm going to worry about. And then maybe put it in your calendar of like uh, tomorrow uh, after lunch, I have a little bit of time. I'm going to worry about them then. Or Mm. right tomorrow morning, I have a little bit of time to worry before I go to work or something Mm -hmm. of just get it on the calendar. And I I find it really helps to write it down because something about having it exist physically helps me to not feel like I need to keep thinking about it. Otherwise I might forget that I need to worry about this, that actually writing it down, usually like in pen helps me the most rather than just typing it. But either way, if you're out type it on your phone. Sure. Um, anyway, it can help you let go in the moments so you can be present for that.
1: Sometimes if I'm in the moment and I find myself having difficulty letting go, if I have the time, sometimes I'll just be like, okay, right now you have 20 minutes. Like I'm going to give myself 20 minutes to sit here and be anxious about this. And that's, I mean, that's not usually my first technique that I go to, but it is the one where it's like, if I find my brain won't shut off or my brain, you know, these thoughts keep coming in that that's what I use. Like, okay, fine. Like take 20 minutes right now and then you can worry about everything. And then Mm. honestly, usually I get bored like five minutes into that 20 minutes. And I'm like, oh, like, no, I'm just bored. Like, I can't see it. I got to go do something. And that usually helps to break me out of it.
0: Mm, interesting. So. Yeah, it, this this one for me is like the, the writing stuff down and just kind of, I think what I really like about this one is that it's not saying that you can't worry or that you shouldn't. Mm. It's just saying, I'm going to do it at a different time because right now I can't do anything about it. Or right now I need to be doing something else. And if I don't do this thing, I'm going to be worrying about that later Mm -hmm. of still allowing yourself that time. Cause like for me, I think I talked about this a long, long time ago on the show, but um, gosh, this would have been maybe 10 or 15 years ago now um, where I was prescribed um, Uh, uh, Paxil as for, for anxiety specifically. And I ended up not not doing well on that drug and not like it it had much worse side effects for me mm-hmm. than the positives. However, it did make me not anxious. It also just made me not have any sex drive. It made me not care about anything really. Like mm-hmm. I was just kind of going through the motions. And so for me, I ended up deciding that that wasn't the route I wanted to go. And but having that experience actually helped me to accept, the anxiety is something that I was okay with having some of because Mm. this for me maybe worked too well or whatever, like it got rid of all of it. Right. Mm. To the, to the point, like I said, I just kind of didn't care. Um, and so for me that, that helped. And that's of course, just with my situation of specifically like the amount of anxiety that I was experiencing at that time. But for me, it was kind of helped me. Like we said at the beginning, like there is a value to having some anxiety, in your life, right? It's a thing we've we've evolved to have. It's not just like a disease you get. Like it is a thing mm-hmm. you should have some of. Um, and so for me, this scheduling one, I really like that it still places some value on that.
1: On still having some awareness of.
0: Yeah, on having those thoughts say, instead of just
1: trying it. to squash it or yeah erase it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. got hmm. it. So the next hmm. technique we're going to talk about is one that I've used a ton, um, and it's visualizing and. Again, I feel like saying the word visualizing, a lot of people are going to roll their eyes. I know the first time my therapist suggested it to me, I definitely rolled my eyes. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, visualizing, sure, <laughs> sure, whatever. Um, but this is one that I use a lot if I'm trying to go to sleep or if I've woken up in the middle mm-hmm. of the night and there's a lot of like obsessive or repetitive thoughts floating around in my mind. Um, and it's visualizing, writing down those thoughts like in a book and then I visualize closing it and then putting it on the shelf and walking away. And huh. it's always, and it's kind of combined a little bit with the rescheduling thing a little bit. Cause I also mm. kind of visualize like this book is still there. I can come back to it whenever I need, you know, whenever I need to reaccess, you know, these anxious thoughts, it's still there. It's not like I'm burning the book or throwing it out the window or whatever, mm. um, but it lets me at least in that moment to be able to be like, okay, you know, I don't need to think about this now and I can walk mm. away. Or, you know, putting the anxious thoughts into a box that then you lock and then put away in the closet. Um, Or uh, she also gave me, you know, imagining that you're putting them into a balloon and letting the balloon drift away. That one's a little bit less reaccessible, but maybe in that moment, that's good for you. Um, Or you can also visualize a positive outcome. If there's a particular scenario that you're getting really anxious about, like, I know definitely in my early days of being non-monogamous, you know, I'd get so much anxiety anytime a partner went out on a first date specifically, because the first date has the most unknowns, right? You don't know, um, like maybe this person's going to be so amazing. They don't come home or ever again. Ever. Or, <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Know, so amazing that they realize how boring and awful I am. And, and so I found what is really effective for me is visualizing a positive outcome. So as in like my partner goes on this date and they have a great time on the date and I meet this person who's my metamor and like I love my metamorph so much and we become best friends. And, and it's like, you know, <laughs> not like I'm creating that expectation, but just opening myself up to the, to the possibility that, hey, this could I could get through this and it could feel good on the other side. Um, hmm. so that's another good technique to mm-hmm. use. And again, like for me, it really is just amazing for when I need to sleep is just to do that visualization.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I think you could even make this one into a little bit more of a, like a physical tactile sort of ritual too. Hmm. Um, I know that, that there are various rituals in different cultures. There's one that I used to do at a church in Seattle that was just like an annual thing, but it was about, um, you know, essentially putting something into like a a stone or an object or something that then you would throw into a river or Mm. in, you know, in the church, it was like into a little thing of water that then would be taken away, but, you know, sort of symbolically into a river. Uh, But this could even be something... So
1: they're like, here's this bucket of water and it's a river.
0: Yeah. And then, then we'll go take it and put it in a river later, you know, kind of by proxy. Okay. Uh, Cool. (laughs) but, But anyway, but it could even be something like writing it down on a piece of paper and crumpling it up and throwing it away mm. or right like it could also be more tactile if that's something that resonates more with you than just trying to visualize but it's essentially mm. the same same thing right right Kind of like it's the It's like letting it go or burning it or something. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. writing it down, folding it up, putting it away, or putting it in a yeah. certain journal that you keep in one place on the shelf, right? Like there's so lots you're of different so like ways. like actually
1: physically doing that activity. Right. That right. you could
0: actually do it that way. Right. I mean, maybe just because yeah. I'm more of like a tactile kinetic yeah, kind of yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes yeah.
1: sense. That makes sense. So then this next one is, um, it's kind of a broad tip really, but it's, it's, it's kind of a twofer as well. So it's a do the work and get help. And what mm-hmm. we mean by that is, you know, doing the work, quote unquote, it can be whatever personal work is going to help you get to the bottom of your anxieties and insecurities. Um, that's a whole topic in and of itself. And, mm-hmm. you know, it may involve finding a meditation practice that also allows you to do a lot of self inquiry or. Um, or, you know, anything that, that allows you to figure out some kind of self-healing, like maybe you do realize like, oh, there is some trauma or there's some baggage from my childhood or past relationships that's coming up and I need to look at that and give that space and work through that. It could involve doing some kind of self-analysis or a guided analysis to uncover what your actual triggers are. Cause sometimes mm. anxiety can come up and we have no idea what actually triggered us. Mm. Um, yeah, You know, and, and that adds this layer of confusion where you also don't even know what caused the anxiety. And of course, if you're also finding your anxieties reaching this unmanageable level where it is starting to affect the quality of your day-to-day life, then definitely get a professional diagnosis or some kind of professional help or medication. There's definitely, I mean, I know that In our culture we face a lot of stigma around mental illness and taking care of one's mental health and i feel like with anxiety as well you know anxiety is the most common mental illness in the u.s um but we still kind of carry this attitude of like you got to get be able to get yourself through it you Mm, know that this is your failing if you can't snap yourself out of it and often it's not you know often it's a chemical thing it's a hormone thing or whatever and so you know, it is okay to do what is effective for you in order to get it to a manageable level.
0: Also, humans yeah. were never meant to live on their own and do everything on their own. Right. <laughs> I just have to get on my soapbox for a second. We've talked about <laughs> totally. it before, but like humans were never made for this. We've mm-hmm. never done it in history. I don't know why we have this absurd notion that, that we're somehow like independent and self-reliant, that being self-sufficient is something that's healthy or to strive toward. Right. Anyway. Sorry. it's like <laughs> no don't be sorry <laughs> it's, it's true it's yeah. <laughs> true yeah. no it's challenging for sure. Um,
2: yeah. And in those moments maybe when you don't have a therapy session for a couple of days or you can't get a hold of them um, try to do breathing exercises, mm. try to relax, relax your body, move to a different location um, just like get out of the situation that you're currently in. Uh, Do something like engage your senses, like listen to music, play with something tactile, like visually count something in your surroundings, Mm. chew gum. God, I, yeah, I remember when I was like, I was like crying my eyes out at my ex-boyfriend's, what was it? It was his graduation because we had had a fight like the day before and it was really, really, really bad and i was just like crying 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 and my mom just like handed me some gum <laughs> and she was like you need to just like just like do something else oh. <laughs> it's so like that it was wow. really funny i was just like sobbing and i couldn't stop and she's like here like do something else so she handed me some gum did it work but it did it did help absolutely oh. yeah huh. just wow. like putting engaging your body in like a different way mm. can be helpful um and and have a positive mantra that you come back to over and over again in these moments um again my my friend who who has anxiety uh and deals with it um from a clinical standpoint uh and takes medication etc she definitely has like a list she has a big long um written list of positive mantras mm. uh. that she goes back to constantly and she has it on a refrigerator and she goes back to it in those moments of rumination and, and mm. self destructive thoughts. And I think that's really, really helpful to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, one, like one mantra that I came up, uh, like, like that, that I found when I was researching this episode was, um, reminding yourself and this was specifically for people who are having panic attacks so it was like that level mm. of anxiety but okay. it was like reminding yourself that you've survived 100 percent of the panic attacks that you've been through and you're going to oh. survive this one too yeah. you know and i think that mm. applies also even if you're just feeling really intense anxiety that like you've survived these feelings before and gotten yeah. through them and they're going to pass again um interesting yeah 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 i find for me just to give another note about the like sense thing about like emily's mom shoving gum in her face um gum like do it do it yeah (laughs) take this in your mouth um yeah i i think that i found in my life personally that's been really helpful if i have anxiety that comes up and i don't know what triggered it like if I have a weird generalized anxiety and I can't figure out like, no, I'm not worried about something specific or like, I don't mm-hmm. feel like I should be worried or anxious in this moment, but I'm, my body's feeling that way that... yeah you know, instead of th- sitting there thinking and trying to figure out what is it, why is it, why am I feeling this way? What is going on? Like just being like, okay, I'm just gonna listen to music or hmm. I'm just gonna like grab this like squishy thing and mess with it. That again, <laughs> just something yeah. to get your senses engaged in some way i found surprisingly helps a lot in those situations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to move on to our next section, which is what if you're trying to support a partner? who has anxiety. Right,
1: right. Definitely challenging. I think definitely if you personally haven't experienced like high levels of anxiety or like clinical levels of anxiety, that it can be really hard to relate to a partner who's going through that.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. and and it can really change, I think, depending on how their anxiety manifests or what that looks like. Um, and, And I think it can be especially challenging when, when you try to like you try to to help them in the way that you would want to be helped mm. and i think this comes from this deeper assumption that they experience things the same way that i do and the yeah, reality how is huge that that is the, yeah. yeah they probably don't
2: right uh,
0: <laughs> in fact it's extremely likely that they don't and it's extremely likely as we've talked about before that the longer you've been in a relationship actually the less likely you are to be able to accurately guess and understand how they're feeling Hmm. at any given moment. But the more confident you think you are in doing it. So, right. It's this kind of, you're, you're damned if you do sort of a situation. And so the thing about it is like what I've learned in, in having a partner with PTSD and like learning about that is actually learning about it, mm. right? Is asking questions of the partner and then also doing other reading about it. And in a lot of mm. it, you might read something that's like, I don't, I don't know, like I, I'm not, is that how I'd feel? I don't know. And then it's the important thing to just realize, wait, that doesn't matter. Mm. <laughs> Someone's telling me that this is true for some people, so that might be true. Right. of just kind of trusting. And then the same in asking your partner about how they're feeling is actually believing them when they tell you how they're feeling and like believing that that's real and not that like, oh, well, no, it must actually be this other thing because that's what makes sense to me. Mm. I think getting out of that mindset is so important. I
2: think, uh, the halt thing is so important in this, in these moments as well. Uh, I don't know, Jace, if you're like me because we're we're both spewers, but <laughs> but in moments of um of conflict, I want to just address it immediately and figure it out immediately. And I feel like I have the tools in which to do that. And often my partner will be like, No, I need to stop and I need to halt and I need to go mm. away for a while in order to figure that out. And and even just talking about anxiety regarding you know, or in this episode has shown me like shit, like maybe they are unable to function in that moment Mm. because of their anxiety. And therefore I need to, you know, be better about, um, I guess, honoring that that Mm. need for halting in that moment because they are different than I am. And even though I feel like I can deal with it in that moment, maybe they can't. Yeah. So yeah. that's, that's a really interesting point. And, and something that I know a lot of people talk about God on the tour, like a couple came up to me and spoke about that exact thing and wanting to halt and wanting, mm. you know, to speak about it in the moment and, right. and that conflict there. So I know that it's definitely prevalent in people's lives.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, should I dive into yeah, this yeah, list? Go for it. Yeah, yeah. So the first it. one, which we kind of touched on a little, a little bit already, um, is just check in with your partner. And it, that's super simple, you know, to asking, are you okay? How are you feeling? I'm a big fan of incorporating NVC, nonviolent communications, which is based on stating an observation first rather than an assumption. Mm. So, as in, instead of going to your partner and saying, you seem anxious, are you okay? saying, mm, uh, oh, I noticed that you're breathing heavy. Are you feeling okay or are you all right? You know, so that kind of gives them the opportunity to either be like, Oh yeah, actually I, I know I am, I am kind of starting to feel anxious or starting to feel triggered or whatever. And then we can take it from there or it can be like, Oh no, I just came up some stairs. Um,
0: yeah. No, <laughs> and I, I'm okay. I yeah, really like good. that. I really like that. Cause I, I know it, it can be irritating to have someone always asking you like, are you okay? Yeah. Um, when you're just like, what I'm, Fine, am I being weird? Like, and then you start to get in your head about, like, am I being strange? Am I, what am I doing <laughs> that's making them think I'm upset when I'm not? Am I upset and I don't realize it? Right? You can get caught in this whole thing. Whereas the just that making an observation of, like, oh, I feel like you're like hearing you sigh a lot while mm-hmm. you're doing that. Mm-hmm. And then it gives them the opportunity to either say, yes, I'm feeling anxious or upset about this, or to go, oh, no, I don't know. I'm just, like my chest is feeling tight, you know, because I, whatever, because my allergies or, right, it could be something else. I'm just, I'm trying to get yeah. enough air or uh, I'm reading this article about <laughs> Trump or, right, like it gives them right. a chance to, to, <laughs> yeah. to observe that too and give mm-hmm. you a reason for it instead of feeling accused of being in a bad mood. Right, you know? right, yeah. Um, another one is to offer your support in whatever form. Uh, And kind of asking them what sort of form they want, or even presenting them with options. Right. Right. Because maybe they don't want the burden of having to choose what it is they, or, you know, having to tell you what they want, but if you give them some options, right. Yeah. So for example, your anxious partner may want to be held or they may want to talk it all out, right. Do the spewing style. Um, Or they might want advice about something, or they may want to be left alone and they feel obligated to like hang out and be social right now. And they really just would like to be alone or they would like you to make a decision for them so they don't have to, cause they're finding their self stuck about it. Right. Like there's, there's lots of different things. And just through asking some of those questions of, and you know, like Dedeker's example, I noticed you're breathing heavy, you know, are you all right? They might give you an ex- example and you say, you know, I'm like, take a little break to cuddle about that. Or do you want to tell me about it? And if they say no, then it's like, do you want to be left alone totally or just stay here? Kind of like presenting some options along the way, mm-hmm. rather than just like, what what can I do? Like, how do I fix this, mm-hmm. right? Which can kind of make the problem worse. Right. Just feeling yeah. like, ah, oh, now your problem's inconveniencing me too. Give me a solution to it. Mm. Got it. Yeah, And really also remind them that they're not
2: silly. They're not being silly in this moment. It's like, huge. Like, anxiety can get just triggered by, like, really arbitrary things. Um, and that can often maybe add a layer of shame or embarrassment to the person experiencing that anxiety. Mm. Um, but just really proactively remind your partner that feeling anxious or getting triggered, it's not a bad thing. It's not a silly or absurd thing. It's okay. And mm. it can happen to anyone at any time for any reason. And they are, you know, their feelings matter and they are loved in that moment and just kind of bring that up to them and be there for them when those things happen.
1: This one's huge. I found for Mm -hmm. me because so like I have PTSD related like anxiety that comes up and again, it's the kind of thing where it can get triggered by something really infinitesimally small. Mm. or really arbitrary or something that like any other person on the planet would not find triggering or activating or anxiety producing. And so there's that other layer on top of it of like, this should not have upset me. Mm. This should not have made me anxious. This should not have set me off. And so because I'm embarrassed about that, I don't even want to open up and talk about feeling it. I want to try to power through. And so even getting that out of the way of just being assured that like, it's okay, it's not bad, it's not wrong, it's not silly, it's not absurd, like, it just is what it is, um, yeah. you know, without any value judgment on it. Like, at least I know in my personal experience is really hugely helpful mm-hmm. to be able to get me to feel more comfortable to actually kind of move through it in that moment instead of just trying to contain it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And related to that um, is to avoid trying to logic it away for your partner. Um, this one's a little bit tricky because obviously anxiety is an emotion. It's not always logical. And in a particular moment, your partner may ask you for some kind of, you know, Triforce number three style. Like I want advice. I want, you know, can you please tell me that I'm like, can you please tell me that this is not something to worry about? Like maybe your partner does come to you and say like, I need to talk this out. I need to understand. I'm really anxious about this and I don't know why. Can you help me talk it out and figure out why I shouldn't be anxious about it? Like if your partner comes to you and asks for that, that's great. You know, help them get there. If they haven't coming to your partner and just trying to logic out why they shouldn't be upset may not be helpful in the moment. Because yeah. while you're thinking like, oh, we'll use the power of logic of like, <laughs> you know, to see that, hey, there's nothing to worry about. Um, and to you, that may seem to make a lot of sense, but to your partner, especially if they're really deep in the throes of anxiety or panic attack or something that just may come across to them as I'm um, even more ridiculous and silly and absurd for being anxious. And then it just keeps piling on more of that, like shame and embarrassment about it. So it may not, you know, trying to logic it away may not have the effect that you think it's going to have on your partner. Yeah,
0: yeah. totally. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, and God, this one is a good one for me. Give them time, but don't set a timer. Mm-hmm. Don't like say like, well, I need you to freaking figure this out. Right. TikTok. In 10 minutes or a day or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So it, it can be really helpful to remind your partner that this feeling will pass, like assure them that they can take as much time as they need in this moment, but it will pass eventually. Um, but make sure that like this feeling will pass is used as a tool to s- it, that, that it's not used as a tool to like dismiss your partner's feelings in the moment because that I think can be a destructive tactic to use. Um, in right. these moments, definitely. Right. Well, Instead it's kind of, that's a little bit being related. Being there for them.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit related to the logic thing of, you know, if you just yeah. say, well, whatever, it's going to pass, that, that can be very dismissive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fine yes. line between, is it dismissive or is it reassuring? Is it just kind of helping to remind your partner, like, it's going to pass and you can take your time and it's going to be okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. Just mm-hmm. to be there for them as opposed to being like, well, it's going to pass, so like, get over it. Right. There's mm-hmm. a difference there for right, sure. right,
0: right. And with all of these things is just to remind them that they're loved, right? Remind them that you care about them. And I think this can be especially true or especially uh, important to say, if you're also having to do something to take care of yourself, right. Where maybe like you are getting uh, upset by, you know, because of their anxiety or their way they're acting toward you or something. And you might need some time to yourself or something that's an especially important time to add in that reminder of like, you know, like this will pass. I know this is just going on right now. I still love you a lot. I really want to help you with this right now. I'm going to go for a run or right. I'm going to go. I just like need to focus on work for the next few hours. But like, but if it gets really bad, come find me Mm -hmm. or write something of just kind of leaving them with like, I'm not abandoning you. I don't, think you're a bad person because of this like any of those sorts of you know greater worries that they might have based on your reaction or or if you try one of these things like we've talked about like you know telling them this will pass and they react badly to that of just being like well okay that wasn't what I meant like I'm, I'm sorry I understand you're feeling this way like I love you just kind of that reassurance of like mm-hmm. I, I'm still here for yeah. you this is okay regardless of how we're gonna try to figure this out right now
1: well so i hope that this was helpful for some of you out there um, to at least give you a place to start in managing your own anxiety or in being able to be there for your partner if your partner's experiencing anxiety of course you know all three of us this manifests in our lives in different ways but we would love to hear from you um you know if you experience anxiety or you're with a partner with anxiety whether that's more day-to-day anxiousness or if it's actually an anxiety disorder we would definitely love to hear from you of What's been most effective for you personally managing that? What's been most effective for you being with a partner and managing that? Um, we would love to hear your stories and hear your tips and tricks.
0: Yeah, and and do that if, if it's something that you want to share with other people. You know, do that in a place where people can see it, like mm-hmm. on our Facebook page or on Twitter or on our Instagram or something like that. Because there are other people who could probably benefit from those tips and tricks as well.
1: Yeah.
2: Send an email to info at multiamory.com or send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also leave us a voicemail at 678-M-U-L-T-I-05, or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. To support our show and join our private Facebook community, go to patreon.com slash multiamory. MultiAmory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is "Forms I Know I Did" by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page at multiamory.com.